All right, so what's going on, guys? Welcome to Three Men and a Barbell. So this episode's going to be a little different. This episode's going to be a, a run of our weekly coaches meeting that we've been having. Um, if you want to get involved on this, this is going to be a weekly thing on Sundays, 5 p.m. Eastern. You can find the link in my bio, Dalton underscore MM. And I think Steve's got it in his, steves.lifts. So on this episode, we're joined with Hannes Luter, who is a fellow coach out of Recruit Strength. And we kind of go over a bunch of things from skill acquisition to RPE to a little bit of trash talking with each other. So hope you enjoy this one, guys. Let us know what you think. All right, we're all on our boxes now. Uh, it's a it's a really interesting concept though, like what you talked about evolution as a lifter, you know, as we mature. Because, you know, like you just said, you have a lifter who, you know, maybe they they coach themselves, like you just said, and they're able to pretty much just. God, I'm rambling. <laughs> this caffeine hit hard. <laughs> All right, let's try this again. But pretty much, so you've got a lifter who is their own coach, right? And they're able to pretty much do their own thing, do their own coaching, but they can't hold themselves back. Sure. I was in that that situation for a really long time. And it wasn't until like this year, I feel like I really started to mature as a lifter on that aspect of things. Like putting the programs easy, putting it together is easy. It's just actually following it. That's the hard part. So what was the turnaround for you? So what part, what part of this being the first year that made you kind of step back and figure that out? For me, it was more along the lines of saying, hey, we actually don't need to do half the things we're doing. You know, we don't need to be doing as much hypertrophy. We don't need to be doing as much intensity back to back to back. You know, are there better ways of setting up exercise selection, exercise um, throughout the week? You know, how do we select exercises throughout the week? And uh, some of the things I've talked about, some of the videos I've done, it's like, how do you progress throughout the week? Because if you're trying to do squats one day and then deadlifts the next day and you're a conventional deadlift, you're like, it's just not going to work. So it's coming to realizations like that and then applying it on a whole basis as like a coach and lifter. So arming myself with that knowledge at that point, but it's had a double-edged, uh, double-edged blade to it because it's like, you know, you get this knowledge and then you're like, oh, wow. Uh, there's so much more I don't know now. So I was, um, I started out my powerlifting, I guess you could call it my powerlifting career in mid to late 2019. <clears throat> and at that time, um, my fiance and I were traveling across America. She was a um, traveling vascular sonographer. So every three months we would move to a new place. And so I essentially was just hopping from commercial gym to commercial gym every three months, like trying to figure out how to be a powerlifter. And um, <clears throat> it wasn't until... I got a coach um, and his name was Mikey Davis uh, with flex. And once I got with Mikey, um, he really took the time to teach me a lot and explain a lot of things. And once he kind of introduced the submaximal training uh, philosophy, um, more frequency, less exposure to failure. Um, once he introduced that train of thought and connected it and combined that with RPE, once he, once he kind of like illuminated that for me, I was able to like really make the progression in the ability to train responsibly. 
So, and I stayed with Mikey for like a year. Like I, and I, I, I love the hell out of the dude. And it wasn't until um, money got tight that I left him. It wasn't because things weren't going well because we, things were going great. And be, but because of the principles he taught me, I, I, I'm more able to effectively program and like coach myself because I don't have a coach right now. Um, but if I previously, for example, I was using like percentage-based schemes, like Prilipin's chart type stuff that you find on YouTube. Every new lifter finds the Prilipin's chart video on YouTube. And it makes sense. Like, oh, okay, three by three at 75%, like three by two at 80%. Like it's just, it makes sense. So, and I was doing that for a while and I wasn't getting anywhere. Um, so uh, I want to share something about the Prilipin's chart. Uh, so Tony Montgomery Jr. Yeah. Uh, hurt my feelings really hard. Uh, awesome dude i love the dude but we were talking at one point uh i don't know if you said it on a podcast if we were doing like a uh, a live lecture or something but the premise of it is, is like it, yo if you use prelevance chart or if your coach uses prelevance chart i need a coach i, I agree like, Ooh. well i agree I, <laughs> yeah that was like an eye-opening thing for me it was like yeah. oh dude you're right like there is so much more out there how do we what do we look at then? You know, well, educate yourself. Like, look at the, the research around it, you know, yeah. learn from the guys that are doing this and have had success. You know, there's Trevor Jaffe, there's Tony Montgomery Jr. Like I just mentioned, there's Paulo Need. you know, look at all these guys who are doing all this and having success in it and then look at where they learn from. So, and for background reference for like some of anybody who comes across this recording, who's not familiar with, with Prelipin's chart or that work, uh, Prelipin was a Soviet era Olympic coach and he was highly successful. And, um, he ended up using like a data compilation of the secret Soviet tra training textbooks. And he was able to develop a chart. And in that chart were like percentages and rep range that the Soviet lifters would operate in. And when they used this chart, they saw success. So that's all well and good. So, but there's a couple problems here. One of the first ones is that the data that he based his charts on, it's never been found. Like to this day, we don't have access to it. On the second, it was made for Olympic weightlifters, which is a fast twitch. Like it's a fast twitch, like eccentric movement. Like um, there's a lot of differences between that and powerlifting. Like powerlifting is not Olympic weightlifting. So there's that issue also. And the third issue is that it was being used by literal elite level Soviet era weightlifters. So these are seventh tier weightlifters. Like if they start the selection pool at six years old, they've passed every selection tier until they're Olympic level athletes. This is like literally the best that the Soviet systems had to offer. And they tested everyone because they were after the gold medals. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're literally talking about people who push their athletes and if so, they don't make it, they don't make it. Like and this, they push and this, volume on top of volume. And this chart is based off of their training and their success. So to take all of that in mind and then apply it directly to powerlifting, it's like, it's, it's intellectually lazy once you're aware of all those factors. But like, I still see Prelipin's chart pop up time and time and time again. Yeah. It's, I, I mean, it's not a, it's not necessarily a bad thing. No. But at the same time, there's so much more information out there. Like you can make better choices than just relying on this chart. Yeah. I, I see it all the time. Like people will be like, oh, we're doing four by five. And when you actually, if you actually go back and look at their layout, it's matching exactly. I think 20 reps is 80% or something like that. Like once yeah. you hit around 80% or so 80 to 90, it's like 20 reps and then 90 above drops to 10 or something. Mm -hmm. I don't remember, but at the same time yeah. you watch them and they're starting from 80% and then all the way up to, you know, whatever, 85, 87 and a half they're doing 
a four by five or some form of fashion hitting 20 reps within that. It's like, but why? What's the point? Like, at what point do you have to sit there and say, okay, we're using Prelopin's chart, but maybe we should go on to something else. You know, what is your athlete trending with? Right. That and like you, you can, you can definitely use it as like, I'm not saying that it's absolute garbage for like anybody. No, listening. No. I, I don't want anybody to like get, get in my DMs about it because like as a generalized recommendation for like sets, volumes and intensities, it's not a bad place to start. But do I think that world-class level powerlifters are training based on Prelopin's chart? No. Um, bro, no. And we can argue about that. In there's my no DMs way. Like there's, they're not. So like, but as a general place to start, I'm not saying that it's garbage. Like if your coach uses it, you use it, whatever, like don't at me. It, it's not that bad, but you, you do have to modify and customize as needs dictate from there. Yeah. We're not saying it's a bad place to start. We are saying it's a bad place to finish and stay at. It's so not learn it, yourselves. It should not be like the bedrock of your programming is what I'm saying. Like if as a coach or as a programmer, you are relying on the Prilipins chart as your like underlying principle, in my opinion, it's lazy and you're making a mistake, but that's just obviously my opinion. Well, so I think the other thing too, you have to look at with Prilipins charts, like you said, it's weightlifting, right? Yeah. Weightlifting is a technique based sport. Yeah. Powerlifting is, powerlifting is more of a brute force mixed with technique. So you can't handle what? There's like, there's a lot of things to consider too. Like there's the mobility necessities for Olympic weightlifting, like the exposure to the extreme end ranges under load. Like, so there's that consideration. Like there's the fact that, uh, that the eccentric concentric chain that exists in two powerlifting movements isn't the same in, in the Olympic lifts. Like you're coming straight off the floor. So like that fast twitch necessity to like create constant tension and like good pressure all the way through the movement. It's like, it doesn't necessarily exist in, in powerlifting where you have the, you have the negative portion to load the muscle fibers and create that stretch reflex that it's not there in Olympic weightlifting. So like to, to apply them directly, it doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. Plus, you know, we talk about absolute load and just absolute load in general, like oh, yeah. you're never going to, what's the max, like the world record clean and jerk right now. It's like 500 and something. It's, it's a lot. I, I think it, it's, it's um, a good amount. Yeah. But you're never going to find somebody who is squatting or cleaning drinking 800 pounds at least not right now and that's that's a key thing i think that changes or has to change when you look at it because the further you go with absolute load the less you're going to be able to tolerate the less exposure you're going to be able to tolerate and then when you actually add these other compounding variables on top of it when you look at training age physical age when you look at the arousal state of the lifter it's like all this stuff starts to add up nutrition the sleep like all of it you have to start looking at you know recovery frequency how do we play with these things until you know we find that formula and that's just something it's not taking into account with prelevance chart and if you're just using prelevance chart then it's you're beating your head against the wall okay so now we went on this huge tangent about prelevance chart and i'll end (laughs) the tangent with this statement if you if you're using prelevance chart as a programming template because you don't want to pay for a coach you can't afford a coach you don't think it's necessary whatever i would highly recommend you go on to a site called lifting vault and you find a better free program there's like hundreds of free templates you can download um if you're an early intermediate um i recommend the candido six week knock yourself out bro run that like i know people who ran that 10 times in a row and got an elite total like 
it's like you can find all sorts of good free programs that are, in my opinion, better geared towards powerlifting. Um, but that's what my early training looked like because that's what I was finding on the internet. Like, oh, the old, you know, the old secrets, the old uh, Russian lifting shit that you used to hear from Westside. Um, used to hear Dave, used to hear Louis Simmons go on about that shit all the time. Like the old, the old Russian text, the old Russian secret texts. So like, bro, that's weightlifting. Like, and I'm not saying that he doesn't know what he's talking about or whatever, but that's what I fell into in the beginning was a lot of like elite FTS, like old school kind of stuff. And it was very linear and percentage based. And I burned myself out quickly, self-programming and self-coaching because I was just trying to linearly drive progress. And it wasn't until I found the current system that I use. Um, I couldn't sell, I couldn't coach myself. I couldn't program myself. Not until I started using um, the RPE based programming now. Well, I mean, it's not to say like percentages, uh, percentage, percentage based programming isn't a bad thing. It's just no. at some point it has to evolve. And some people, even at a high level, have to use percentage based. You know, not everybody is set for RPE. Yeah. So, like for me, so, for example, if I were to use percentage based programming, um, I use spicy supplements, guys, and I don't use them all the time. And that's problematic if I'm trying to run percentage-based programming. All, like, if I'm fucking spicied up at meat day and I'm fucking juicy going and I'm all in there and I hit like a fat lift, well, it's ambitious to think that my 700-pound deadlift is appropriate to program off of when I'm not, like when I'm back to natty, when I'm back to like regular people status. Like, When I, you're I'm not, not juicy good. anymore? Right. Like I'm, I'm not right now, for example, like, so, so for, for me, for example, to use percentage-based programming off of my one RMs or whatever, it's not appropriate. So like another good reinforcing reason for me to use RPE based programming. For example, so I think what you just said is a key component to the percentage base, like why it doesn't work for a lot of people yeah. for a very, very long time. But it's because when you're, when you're a newer lifter or when you're a younger age lifter, your gym max and your competition max aren't going to be super far off right but as you progress in lifting age and absolute strength it's going to change it has to as long as you're progressing so like i couldn't i probably can't go right now and squat 630 even though i pretty much squatted that at the competition right right i'm not peaked i'm not ready for anything like that's not going to happen i agree my so my training maxes right now are set below what my competition lifts that I just hit were. And so, how do you determine what those training maxes are, for example? Uh, either so it just really depends. Like maybe I'll take ten percent off. That seems to be a pretty good number. It. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That, that makes sense. I don't think I don't think taking that off is a bad thing. Taking ten percent off is a bad thing or bad no. place to start, especially after meat, where it's like, you know, we don't have to go balls and walls right after meat. Like, dude, so, I did uh, two sets of five on high bar squats after a top single, and my legs were fried. I had a, I had a discussion with that about um, with one of my clients. Like, they took their competition back squat max and tried to apply it to a percentage based uh, tempo squat. And it was like, man, that was awfully ambitious of you, bro. Like, man, that was ballsy. And it's like, because for me, you're right. Like, in, I'm, in, I'm in a volume block. Like, there's just no way that I could equate those. But um, if I was going to use percentage-based programming, I could easily just use, like, estimated 1RMs for some of my heavier top sets. And I could get a training max literally like that and do percentage-based programming off that. 
like, and I do that. I project E1RMs all the time and I check percentages against RPE effort frequently just to make sure that things are trending in the right direction. I think so percentage-based program works better at a lower volume, lower, rep, uh, lower reps. But yeah. once you start getting into more volume, more reps in a set, you know, RPE starts to take, in my opinion, a better, uh, better, better handle on things. Because when you look at the literature, look at the data or anything like that, it can vary a vast amount at 70% for how many reps money could do. Oh yeah. I think Especially, the data goes from like 10 to 20. Yeah. It varies between the sexes too. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So it's, it's hard to say that like, okay, I've given you a 70% three by 10, which I don't, I would never do. Uh, please don't take that as what I would do as a coach. Please don't, but Savage. Uh, <laughs> like, Savage. maybe that would kill you or maybe you just blow through it. Yeah. Like, I don't know. But at the same time, what if I gave you instead uh, a three by 10 at an RPE eight? So now we have, <laughs> again, wouldn't do it, wouldn't do it. But hypothetically speaking, if I gave you a three by 10 at an RPE eight now, okay, well, now we have variability that we can go with. You know, what if you have poor sleep that day? You know, maybe we take it a little bit lower than, or what if you're killing it? You know, it just doesn't really matter. But now you've also taken the aspect of, uh, the psychology of the lift into it as well. Mm -hmm. Three by 10 at 70% for somebody, maybe like, oh, dude, that's easy. Cool, I'll just breeze right through this. Somebody else might be like, my cardio sucks. Three by 10 at 70%, I'm going to kill myself. Like, so for, like I, my first thought was like a three by 10 in a low bar competition back squat is like- Kill yourself. Okay, what the percentage is, bro. I don't care if it's, I don't care if there's 225 on the bar. Like that's a lot of reps. Um, but my, my next thought was like a three by 10 at RPE eight. Like if you're a novice or you're like maybe even an early intermediate, I, I could easily see that being appropriate, especially for a, like an actual novice for sure. Um, but again, like you, you need to be flexible in your programming enough to understand that like three by 10 at RPE eight is making like the stronger lifters in here go, Oh no, 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 no. And, but for a newer lifter, that may be very appropriate. Like Honestly, even then, though, I, I don't think I'd take somebody over eight reps on any no. competition movement. Never written. Really, I, I've strayed away from anything more than like six, really. Uh, for, okay, so for like a, like a dumbbell press, I could see 10. Sure. Oh, dumbbell presses are different, though, in yeah. my opinion. Right, but I mean, it's the absolute still load is lower, so you're not incurring as near as much fatigue. So I think there's, there's room to play with those. Sure. But I think for I RPE, remember. I think for the more advanced lifter, RPE is a probably more appropriate way to go. And I think for variations, absolutely. Like, I don't think you can program program efficiently for a very long time. I want to add that caveat in because you can do it for a little bit of time. And I do it from, if I'm starting with somebody and I want to see, okay, you know, let's do a three by five tempo at 60% because I just want to see what you move like in a slow tempo. Do you have control over your bar and stuff? Mm -hmm. But I think as you progress, as you get stronger or as the block progresses and your weights are getting heavier, you have to switch to something. It can't just, cause that 5% increase in load might be way too much. It might be yeah. five pounds for somebody who only, you know, maybe they only bench press hundred pounds. That's only five pounds. But for, yeah. you know, somebody who bench presses 400 pounds, now you've added another 20 pounds, which could be 
you know, make or break, depending on what the exercise is. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's not, and it's not to say that, um, that I don't, I still to this day use, like, I'm not just over here trying to shit on percentage-based programming no. at all. Uh, to this day, I still use percentage-based programming in my program. Um, it's, I, I'm a big fan of using percentage-based programming as like the goal for the day. Like, hey, it would be really dope if we could hit this three by three at, fuck, I don't know, uh, 89%. Like, it's a pretty tough day. Like, let's, let's go for it. Um, <clears throat> and if, if, if when we're warming up and we get to that first triple, if it's clear that it's not at the RPE rate we want it to be at, we'll adjust from there. But I would still like to have that percentage-based uh, load in mind to as a goal. You know what I mean? I'll use them combined. RPE top sets, percentage-based back-offs, or yeah. uh, percentage-based drops from you know your top single. If we're doing a single and then triples, maybe it's 10 to 15% off that triple or that single. But yeah. I think it also it's a great learning tool as well to use RPE coupled with percentage base because it gives you a, a, a range kind of. I'm looking for an RPE eight, well, two reps, maybe we're somewhere around 85 to 87 and a half percent then, or maybe 90. You know, I can give somebody a range that says, we're probably gonna end up somewhere between here or, you know, let's shoot for around here. And you can start teaching somebody that way. Also another way to that, uh, wouldn't be a bad idea too is like if you know you're shooting for a certain rpe or something like that giving them that percentage that correlates usually correlates what you got to figure out you know for your lifter what does an rpe look like you know sure based off trends and what, what you've seen in the past if you've had enough data you know what does that look like for the lifter because it's not going to be the same for everybody everybody but giving the percentage that looks like what their rpe would be Right. And so at that point, you can kind of control things that way as well. I want you to hit a one by two at, you know, 87.5%. In the past, we've seen 87.5% for a double looks close to an eight for you. So you can kind of control things that way as well. You sure. know, there, there's so many different ways you can use it, whether it's intertwined with each other on the back burner, teaching. There's so many different ways you can use it. I've primarily switched over to an RPE based system for myself and for most of my clients. But I think that's that's more along the lines of because we're blowing our training maxes out of the water. I just had a client who took 102% of their max today. Like, yeah. and they paused it. <laughs> yeah, I uh, so Hana was egregiously doing that in prep. Like, so I, I'm not like intimately familiar with any of Fine anybody shots. else. I'm not like intimately familiar with anybody <laughs> else's programming, but because we were training partners, I started to like get a real grasp for her training. Um, and she would give me like, oh yeah, I'm going to hit a triple at this percentage. And so like in my head, I know what that RPE roughly equates to and like what that effort should look like out of her. And then she would hit it. And I'm just over here like, oh man, oh man, oh man. Because it's like, it's multiple RPE ratings below what it should be. So it's like your training, your training, uh, your training percentage is, is off. Like I can use, I can use my eye of your effort to tell you that you're a lot stronger than your program is giving you credit for it. So like yeah. she just started to incrementally raise her training maxes and it, it, her training became more appropriate for the effort, saw plenty of success. And that's just one example of using both, but like she was abusing percentages. Like, 
what was I remember one day I started laughing. He was like, Oh yeah, it's a triple A. It was something crazy. Like it was 80, my deadlift. It was like 89% or some shit. And it was yeah. like, I know that that's supposed to be like uh, that's that could be RPE eight for some people. Like that could be that could be a tough day. Like that's and that's for a good lifter. And she hit it and it was like, I don't even think you were wearing a belt. Like I did a belt list. Right. Like and so it's like, <laughs> so it's like here's my here's my triple at 89, 90%. And it's like, no, it's not. You were like, no. Go on. Like, yeah. So right. So we were able to kind of start to incrementally use both to yeah. to out to influence her own outcomes in her own programming and training. And, and I think that's, that's a good segue, like here. what you're saying, because it is a great way to learn how to use RPE. Yeah. So transitioning clients over usually what I'll do. So in the app that I use, they have a spot for rating RPE. Usually mm-hmm. when I first start working with a client or somebody who is new to lifting, I'm not going to give you an RPE because you probably don't know how to actually correlate to what you're doing. But as we continue as, you know, six, six months, year, whatever long it takes, depending on how fast they pick up on things, I'm going to have you start assigning things. Okay. Well, that looked like, it felt like an RPE eight. Okay. Well, if I look at the, the video you send me of it, does it look like an RP8 to me? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe, maybe not. And if not, I'm going to tell you like, hey, I think you had more or hey, I think you overshot as far as rating this. But they still have the, per, the, they have the percentage there to go off of. And that's the basis of their programming. But then they're assigning RPEs to those percentages to actually start learning. All right, this is what an RPE should feel like. This is what an RPE is. And it goes back to what I was saying with, you know, hiding the RPE as a percentage as well. As well. So I will regularly write uh, for a new client who's like new to RPE or just new to me in general. If I want you to hit a single at like RPE seven, I will write single at RPE seven. And then in parentheses, I will write, uh, uh, what is that? Like uh, 89%, I want to say. Yeah. And I'll just write 89% in brackets. And that gives them like, oh, okay. So if I'm having a good day and I plug in 89% and this is what it feels like, are you telling me that's a seven? I'm telling you that very well could be a seven. And that's a good place to start to learn from there. Um, there like there are established, uh, you can just go on Google and look up like RPE to percentage charts. And like there's, there, they vary and there's different schools of thought on like what RPE to what percentage equates, but they're out there and you can start to use them and get a, and you can start to give them a feel for how to transition not only their programming, but you can give them a way to auto-regulate their percentage-based programming because like if they know what RPE7 feels like and as they're working up to their target load, it's not RPE7 anymore, they can adjust from there. That's usually well, I can say I... as a noob, I started RPE a couple weeks ago and I mean, it's not easy, but there's a lot of stuff on the interwebs different graphs different charts to like tell you how things could feel how many reps are left that you feel you have left um and then just recording yourself and watching yeah so i mean i know i'll eventually get the hang of it but i mean so far i'm liking it well that's the thing is like teaching a client how to actually use rve it's not just the subjective how they feel it's the objective data as well so if you can have them correlate it you know I know this felt like an RB8, but if you can compare that to say like a max lift for them, mm-hmm. or say they say it felt like an RB9, right? But then they have a actual maximum lift to sit there and say, hey, look at the difference between these two. You said you only had one more here, but here you actually hit a true maximum. Or showing them in their accessories what failure actually feels like. Yeah. I so think that's I another really good one. 
I was bad about that in the beginning of my RPE based programming. And um, interesting anecdote time, uh, I would be, I had all these uh, interweb friends who were trying to help me. This is before I got with Mikey. Um, I had all these uh, Instagram friends because I got on Instagram right away to network and meet with people because I was always traveling and I had a, a home gym. Um, and I would post like, hey, this is my uh, five rep set at RPE8. And my comment section would be inundated with people saying, that's not RPE8, that's not like, that's RPE6. Like you're literally not even close. Um, and well, all well and good. I continued to make a ton of progress. And once I got with Mikey, I would continually be undershooting some of these top sets. And he was the one that was quick to point out that like the emerging data is showing that like the proximity to failure that you need to be at to see good gains, it's way bigger than we thought it was. Like it's way bigger. Like people are making solid strength and hypertrophy gains at RPE7 in some cases on compound movements. And it's like, so my, my predisposition that I see in a lot of other new users of RPE is to undershoot the rating. Like they don't necessarily, they'll say, um, oh, this is a RPE eight and it's actually not, it's RPE seven or whatever. Um, and that's all well and good because in that range, they're still making progress. Um, and then you have the other type of lifter who will send you a single at RPE eight and it's like a fucking six second squat. And it's like, br brother. Like, I sometimes, Jesus Christ, you have to murder some people sometimes. I'm just like, that okay. is not air. Don't call it that. Don't, that's not even an RPE rating. Get out of my inbox. Go. They'll be like, bro, this is RPE eight. And I'm like, man, if you want me to, if you honestly think that you could have even gotten one more out of that, you're fucking full of shit. And Unless like, you're Dan Green. Um, I mean, I mean, there are some. I, I've like, sat there and I have watched him do like a set of five, and on the first one, I'm like, no, no, yeah, he so, can't yeah. go on, yeah. and he does four more, and I'm like, you're familiar with those yeah. faster, yeah, than you're familiar the first with the French captain, the international team, the French captain Pana. Are you familiar with him? Yeah. Dude, I mean, yeah. his reps move at the speed of like a snail. And so if, if you look at literally one rep, you're like, there's just no shot. But then he'll jump 15 kilos and it will move even slower somehow. It shouldn't even be possible. It'll move even slower, but he'll still get the rep. So like that is another good case for individuality amongst coaches too. Like he knows that he moves at the speed of a snail when he, when he squats. And so like another coach would look at that and say, oh, that's your max. But because he has enough data, because he knows himself well enough, he's able to say that that's not his true max. So that's another good case for individuality. Yeah. I think it also goes back to communication. And I harp on that so much, but it's because it's such a big part of coaching. Like, if you don't know, then you don't know. And you're not the lifter, so you're not going to know. So you have to talk to the lifter. Plain and simple. Especially but in the case of... Uh, I'm going to butcher his name, but Pena, whatever. Is that, is that even right? Yeah, so it sounds right. Close I've enough. only read it on Instagram, <laughs> so I can't, I can't say that I know how it's pronounced. Yeah. But in the, like in his case, though, if, if the coach isn't talking to him, but he knows uh, himself as a lifter, as a high-level lifter, and he starts working with a new coach or something, like he's got to communicate that. Or else that coach <laughs> may not ever push him. Right. No, I agree. That, like, there has to be a constant feedback loop. Yeah, constantly like and that whether that's in the like the modern day coaching philosophy is in the form of like you send me your videos and I tell you they're either shit or good or what you need to work on and we go from there and that's the constant feedback loop that good coaching relies on 
So when I see that feedback loop broken, as in like, you're not sending me videos for in like, if in my own instance, or if an athlete is no longer communicating to their coach, that's broken. Or if a coach is no longer responding to an athlete, that is in some cases is quite a bit worse um, because the athlete in some cases just doesn't know what's going on. And so like, they need that guidance, but either way, if that communication loop is broken, it, it's not like, that's not it. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Um, sounds like a pretty good spot to kind of switch topics though. So last week I did a video on skill acquisition, right? Mm -hmm. I want to hear y'all's opinions on skill acquisition and the role it has within powerlifting. And then I'll give mine. Okay. Um, go ahead, Hannah. Do you want to go first? Uh, no, you can go first. <laughs> okay. Get your ass in front of the bus. <laughs> I, I didn't like. I didn't want to. Uh, I was gonna throw her under the bus. And like, oh, you go. And then right away, I was like, uh, actually, maybe that's a little rude. Let me save her from the bus. <laughs> uh, so my own thoughts on skill acquisition is my immediate thought is it depends on the, on like the experience level of the lifter. So like, if we're talking about an absolute novice, as in like, this is their first day under a bar skill acquisition is everything. Like, I don't give a fuck about driving linear, anything and not intensity, not volume, not anything. The only thing I want to linearly drive is their ability to get that bar moving linearly. That's it. Like, so, but that's not the case for like necessarily an elite level lifter. Um, who's already developed a ton of skill. Um, that's my immediate thought. Uh, for myself, I have never worn knee wraps before, but at some point I'm going to compete in knee wraps. So I have to consider the fact that although I've acquired quite a bit of skill in the, like over time in powerlifting, I don't have any skill in that. And I got to go about acquiring it. Those are my immediate thoughts on skill acquisition. Yeah, same. Um, I mean, for me personally, you know, when you're first become a power lifter, like I knew nothing about power lifting. I didn't really know cues. I didn't know exactly what I was doing. Um, so I basically had to learn all of that. Um, I'm also kind of doing that with my mom right now. My mom has no idea how to lift weights. She's training her mom. You know? And so today she had her first session. Um, so it's just something that she's gonna have to learn. Like I have to show her every week until she finally learns how to do them. It can, becomes natural to do on her own. Um, and just saying like, I've never done wraps either. Um, I don't know if that's something I'll ever do, um, but I think yeah, as power lifters, there's always something that we can continue to learn that we don't already know how to do. Um, yeah, I also want to, at some point, get into single ply, at least single ply benching. Like, talk about a, talk about a fun time. Like, I got one of my buddies, shout out Jesse Shelton. Jesse is my dog. Uh, this man is like a local legend in the USPA circuit scene. He, he's like one of the only entrants in single ply. And like, sometimes it doesn't necessarily go his way in the squats, but the dude can single ply bench like 600 pounds. And he's tested and he's like 220. And I tell you what, even though he's like struggling out there, maybe in squats or whatever, he's going through it. The dude is having more fun than anybody else there. And I, I promise you having more fun than anybody there. And when he gets like that, he'll be like, bro, get a Katana, like get a single ply Katana and you'll bench like a million pounds. And 
it's infectious. And I'm over here like, yeah, okay, single plaque katana. Yeah, let me get that. I'm, so, I'm really for this. Um, this sounds like a good time. <laughs> so like, that's what I mean. So like, there's always, there can always be a new horizon. There can always be like a next adventure. There can always be something new. Like, I guess if you're like a hardcore elitist and you're like, oh bro, stiff bar only, squat bench deadlift forever. Like, all right, bro, like have a good time, I guess. Like, you're probably also like, lame so like not that that's <laughs> lame but if you if that's like if that's if that's okay, gonna so, be yeah. so steve just took shots at everybody in the u.s at the uh, if, that's if, what that came down to if that's like <laughs> i i mean i get it i get it like some people are just really good at it and like i know some people compete in like for example the usapl for their entire career and like that's a good thing but for me there's a lot of other things out there that i'm interested in at least trying like at least acquiring new adventures in and like okay. it will involve skill acquisition, which I don't have right now. And sometimes our our technique skills change as power lifters, and they definitely change. You know, um, something like I just changed my bench setup with my feet, yep. and it's I'm not used to doing that every single time. So it's something that I literally have to think about every single bench day. Where three weeks ago I didn't think about anything; I just set up. <laughs> So yeah. now I actually have to think about it, you know, and I mess up and then I'm halfway through the set and I realize my feet aren't where they're supposed to be. So, you know, I'm, I, there I am in my first stage again. I feel like y'all are hitting to the point that I'm saying too, is like skill acquisition is such a under, underutilized thing with the powerlifting. I think everybody gets so stuck on, we have to drive load. We have to drive load. We have to drive loads. Mm -hmm. Maybe not. What if you got better at moving load? What if you got better at being in these positions and you could exert more force on the on the bar at that point? Wouldn't that increase load at that point as well? Of course. Maybe you're not getting, you know, maybe your absolute strength isn't actually going up, but the ability to express the absolute strength is, right? So I just, especially within a peaking program, I think skill acquisition is one of the, one of the main things to work on, I think that's whether you're, you know, at a high level or at a low level, I think it goes both ways. But you I think know, also with that, you know, the whole discussion around frequency and stuff like that has to come in. But I think skill acquisition within itself, you know, you talk, Hannah, you were talking about your mom. I think that's also a lost domain within skill acquisition as well. You know, we're not talking about barbells and stuff at that point, right? So we're talking about skill acquisition of the body itself, just doing air squats, maybe push-ups, a hip hinge of some sort. You know, these are the basis, basis movements of what we do, right? Squat, bench, and deadlift. They're all the basis form of the body weight. So if we can't control these, if we don't have skill acquisition in this area, how are we ever going to master the domain of the barbell movements at that point? Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably something that's missing from a lot of programming. And I'll, you can probably ask my clients, well, not probably, if they're paying attention to their programming, you can ask them and they'll say like, yeah, we are doing, you know, other things to work on the skill. Whether it's something as simple as a dead bug to work on the bracing skill, you know, that is used in my programming for my clients. Or if it's a zercher squat to work on the brace and the actual orientation of the pelvis to, to the rib cage. You know, all these little things, when we talk about skill acquisition, it doesn't just exist within the barbell realm. 
You know, we can look at variations, we can look at accessories that drive skill acquisition as well. You know, it's not just within those squat bench and deadlift. There are so many small things that make up those that we can break these out into subdomains and work on them throughout the block. Mm-hmm. It's interesting hearing you talk about skill acquisition not directly related to the competition movement like the barbell itself, because over time, Hana had mentioned that your technique is continually evolving and changing. Exactly. And for me, that's the pursuit of efficiency. Um, I'm not a big fan of calling someone's technique good or bad, but I am able to use like basic principles to say like that's efficient or that could be more efficient. Um, and for me, it's like a constant pursuit of more efficiency as far as my ability to move load. And if you're not actively addressing that, you're just pursuing load like, you're especially with newer lifters like you open yourself up to a range of bad things like including form breakdown and degradation because you're pushing their ability to maintain that good position past what they can tolerate so exactly for, now, for me when you look at actual like uh injuries it's not so we, we don't have to get into this right now but you know steve and i have talked about this before you know overuse versus misuse yeah. It's not the repeated pattern that's the issue. It's the fact that the tissue tolerance, the load has exceeded that. The load yeah. has exceeded the tissue tolerance on yeah. a movement, which again, that's a whole different subject, but it's, well, what if we expand the basis of skill acquisition, right? If we go beyond just the big three. So if I can give you skill acquisition within a lateral domain, you know, what about lateral, laterally centering and you know, a Cossack squat. Okay. That's going to give you more <laughs> watching Steve's face for, for those that won't be able to see it. Oh, <laughs> it's man, cringing. Those are brutal. Uh, like Google them shits. Like those are brutal. <laughs> but that's the whole point though. Yeah. Like, you want to talk about skill acquisition within that domain. That's going to transfer over to all three of the lifts and I'll argue with you. Like, I don't care. You know, you have to be able to externally rotate within the squat. Yes, there is internal rotation, but that's towards the bottom. You have to be able to open into that squat depending on what your stance is. You want to you want to drive in the bench press and create stability. Externally rotate in the bench press from the I hips. Don't, I, I think it would be a, a foolish person who would try to argue that better adductor strength is not useful in exactly like you would have to. But be not like, even so. Not even set yourself adductor up strength that. in that sense, though. <laughs> Just p- simply talking about owning that sense of movement. I agree. So yeah. being able to move through that and then building on top of that. You can even get into the discussion of like injury prevention, like you, yes. you know, whether or not that's actually a thing. Um, I don't want to get like too esoteric on some people. I don't want to get like too into the research literature on whether injury prevention, stretching or any of that is efficacious or necessary, but exposing yourself to different patterns of movement. I don't think it can be bad, especially if we're not talking like in a peaking phase. Um, even but, then. Yeah. It, Honestly, like, I, I think even then, I would still prioritize the skill acquisition, like you had oh, mentioned, yeah. because a lot of people only look at peaking as like, oh, okay, time to drive load and reduce volume, and it's like, I mean, how about we get good at the movements right, also? Because some of y'all aren't real good at the movements, so how about we get good at those too? Like, <laughs> how about we start? How about we start actually holding our bench press when we come out of the rack, and we start actually pausing them, bitches? Because like, I'll see people seven days out, and they're still touching going, and I'm like. Bro, like, I love y'all. Like, but what are you doing? Boo-boo, what is that? <laughs> so it's hard. But to, to drive a point home that you, I, I don't know if you were trying to make that point or not. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, so we got Elmer Fudd, and then we've got Hana with the Sour Patch or whatever it is. But Don't to drive the point, me. like, yeah, <laughs> to drive a point you were, you may or may not have been making, it's like movement quality, number one, how well can you move? Yeah. How well can you move, stack your joints, and feel while you're moving? Execute. One, I think that's a different a different thing that people need to think about, especially as coaches. I can sit there and I can tell you, this is the most optimal way to move. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Yeah, we have a standardization of movement. You know, we know that, but at the same time, that standardization is an average across a bell curve that is tremendous. So you, you've got to be able to actually feel as well, because if you're feeling things in the wrong place, then obviously that movement has to change for you at some point in time. But I think also on top of that, you have movement quantity. And I don't know if this is the point you're trying to get to, but it sparked the, uh, the thought in my mind was like moving quality, moving quantity, talking about moving quality now, it's like, if I can give you more aspects of completing a lift and giving more domains in a lift, you know, mastery of those domains, we're always using, you know, all three planes, external, internal rotation, whatever it is, you know, we're always using those. But if I give you more aspect to move within these domains, if you get out of position on the lift or something like that, well, odds are our, you know, injury, rate's probably going to go down or you're going to be able to fight through a lift more because you're able to exert force through this range of motion or in these unoptimal positions. So that's just kind of how I think about it in my mind. When I hear, like we have a standardized set of, of, um, of how we want lifts to look as far as like when we're teaching new lifts and we're like, Hey, you want your spine to be in a neutral position, understanding that neutral is a range and it looks different for different people. Insert all of the like necessary asterisks to keep all the functional boys out of my DMS. But within that conversation, we also have to understand that like levers are different for different people. So like people will give me unsolicited feedback on some of my, my techniques sometimes. And it's like, one of my favorites is like, have you tried staying more upright in the squat? And it's like, yeah, Steve. And it's like, have you, have you considered God, the fact Steve. that the, like the, the, my femurs are super long. And so to, to, to with, to remain within the standardized principle of keeping my weight over center foot and keeping the bar over center foot, like from the side, if we want to operate within that standardized principle, I got to bend over pretty fucking far. Cause I don't have any torso and I got a lot of femur. But people will say like, oh, well, have you considered being more upright? And it's like, you're right. I want to violate basic physics and keep the bar behind my midfoot for the squat for the sake of it looking more aesthetically pleasing. But I'll get that, that kind whoever of thing a lot. It's like, is like looking at Steve's profile now on Instagram, like, oh, damn, he's not a hobbit. So there has to be, right. I'm, for anybody who's unaware, like Steve is six <laughs> one in barefoot. Like Steve is actually six foot, not Tinder six foot. He's real six foot certified. Dalton is tall as fuck too. So when Hana we, Dalton, is not. Yeah, Hana is like a Hana is four eleven so, over here. Hana's four eleven. Hana's fun sized. <laughs> so like when Dalton and I both squat, we have these long femurs. Like there is a good degree of torso angle in our squats, but there is has to be the understanding that levers are different. And so while we while we're not pursuing this necessary um, uh, perfect technique because there, it can't be perfect for everybody we are looking to constantly become more efficient in how we move the load and in how much stress we perceive from the load. And like, because of that, I'm like, I t- I'll tell some of my clients all the time, I'm constantly changing shit. I recently changed my squat grip width, grip style, bar placement, like 
my toe angle. Like I'm constantly working on all kinds of different shit to see what's most efficient for me. Because like, I have a relative idea of what a good squat technique should be, but now it's up to me to individualize that to my levers and to my preferences. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I don't think there's any one way to lift. And there's no mastering lifting or anything like that because it's always going to change. You're always going to be presented with something new. Yeah. You know, one day you might have a tight hip. One day you might have a tight shoulder. And, and like, if you're wondering why your tight shoulder might you know, make a difference on a squat or a deadlift, then you'll be you shocked. Ever, if you ever gain or lose weight or you ever yeah. like become more muscular or like less muscular, your levers change, your technique changes. Like if you, if you don't think your deadlift changes, if you gain 20 pounds, you're out of your mind. Like your, your deadlift super changes. So just in the natural, even with 10 pounds. Yeah. Even, that's what I mean. Like even the progression of a natural lifters career, like your technique will change and it should change. I mean, once you get to a point where you're like Taylor Atwood and you're just like automaton moving load, like all the time, that's, that's the perfection of his individual technique for his levers. Like if you go back to when he was, you know, in high school or whatever, it didn't look like that. Like there has been a, a progression of efficiency through skill acquisition. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's something though, uh, most people just don't think about. I would also like to, yeah, I would also like to point out real quick that you can constantly be acquiring skill at being a good power lifter outside of the gym. Yeah. So like for, for all my people who don't like, who aren't uh, keeping an eye on their sleep, they're not keeping an eye, not keeping an eye on their hydration as Dalton sits <laughs> from his 10 gallon water cooler thing that he's carrying around. So like, if you're, if you're a power lifter and you're not keeping an eye on your macros, you know, you're not wearing some kind of a uh, step counter. You're not keeping an eye on your sleep. You're not, if you're not at least like doing something there are other skills that you can be acquiring, become a better power lifter outside of the gym. And it comes back to those controllable variables that we yeah. spoke about previously. That's about, uh, that's what I was about to say is like those variables, those same things are also skills at the same acquire, time. Acquire the skill of controlling more and more variables and make those variable control things habits. And then you'll become the best power lifter you can be. Like, it's not all about being in and out of the gym. Like, we have a friend right now, uh, shout out big Kyle. He's working on his nutrition right now. He's a good power lifter, like has a fat total. He's strong as fuck, but he's working on some of his nutritional aspects right now, acquiring the skills he needs to be a better power lifter. I guarantee whenever he starts, when he reigns those, uh, reigns that in on the nutrition side, he'll start recovering better and he'll start making even more progress than what he already is. He's already a 700 plus pound deadlifter. He's yeah. about to be a 700 plus pound squatter. So I mean, just getting your nutrition in a good place makes all the difference. Yeah, it does. It really does. I agree. And like, that's something that people can actively be working at improving that they may not necessarily be doing. Um, and that's a, just one example of, of a, a controllable variable, but also a skill that you can acquire. And it's like, if you want to be a better power lifter, there should be, in my opinion, a constant pursuit of skill, like both in the gym, in terms of like your efficiency, your knowledge base, um, your, uh, maybe your knowledge of anatomy, your not your knowledge of uh, movement mechanics, but outside of the gym, you can constantly be acquiring knowledge on the nutrition front. Um, you can be learning more. I mean, if you don't already know, you could be learning more about like uh, good sleep patterns, you know, things that don't necessarily translate to 
oh, being under the barbell for more squat repetitions. You know, you can be, I, one of my favorite quotes is, uh, if you want your total to go up, quit your fucking job. Like, <laughs> and like when I first heard it, I said, what? And they were like, yeah, quit your fucking job and be a professional powerlifter. Act like you get paid to do this shit. Act like it's going to pay your fucking bills. And it's like, what would that look like? And what would it entail? And it's like, damn, that person would be keeping an eye on their sleep. They would be tracking their macros. They would be tracking their steps. They'd be getting blood work done. They'd be getting their, uh, maybe they're getting some kind of uh, work done, some soft tissue work done on the side. You know, maybe they're meditating. They're a professional power lifter whose only goal was driving their total would be doing, their efforts would be 90% outside of the gym. But people want to make the gym 90%. And that's backwards, in my opinion, for what it should be. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, going back to skill acquisition with a barbell, though, you know, we took a step back and looked at like, you know, mastering different movements outside of a barbell and seeing what it can do from like on the inside of a barbell. You know, I think also with the barbell, uh, the mantra that I have is learn slow slow is steady, steady is fast. I've had that mantra for, I don't know how long, I don't know where I got it from. I'm pretty sure I was watching like an elite FTS video from somewhere. That's Bruce but Lee. That's stuck with me. Is it? It's Bruce Lee. I'm pretty um, sure, yeah. Well, shit. <laughs> um, yeah, let me, let, me look, let me look that up. Well, shit. I don't be wrong. But I'm pretty sure that like, um, it's Google like- Google it. I didn't like, know I was a fan yeah, of Bruce like, Lee, but apparently I am. Yeah, yeah. No, was like, but no, uh, like that's, I think it's a great way of, uh, of learning though. That slow is smooth and smooth is fast. I think that's what it is. Oh, well, mine's better. Cause I came up with it. No, Bruce Lee's gonna come back and kick my ass. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but seriously though, like learning well, slow, good, slow, it's like steady, steady, fast though. Because when you look at the, the stages of learning, right? So um, depending on what theory you look at, you have anywhere between one or not one, but two to like six steps. There's probably more out there, but do the, these are just some of the ones I've looked at. Yeah. But they all include some of the same things, mm-hmm. you know, conscious, unconsciously being aware that you're incompetent at something mm-hmm. and then consciously being aware that you're incompetent, but working towards competency yep. and then being able to actually consciously and competently perform a movement while thinking about it, but thinking less about it. Mm-hmm. but then the final stage is also an autonomic competency mm-hmm. so you no longer have to think about this I agree. and when we think about skill acquisition like we want to get to that stage that final stage and especially be there during meat prep or not meat prep but meat peak yeah. if you actually want to separate those things out like meat peak i will not give you a single cue unless it's something just super easy or super like whoa like don't do that we're going to end up hurting ourselves yeah so i think it's something that um that should be worked towards you should have some kind of runway and i mentioned that in the video i did about skill acquisition as well it's like uh fitz and posner is basically the one i'm referring to it's a three-step one but uh the learning theory but at the same time if we can create the runway to get to that point and time it correctly of getting to peak and getting to that point like yeah we might have some things we need to work on but during the peak, my main concern is just scale acquisition to a point where it's automatic for you. Like, I want you to step on that platform and be confident that your technique is the absolute best. You're the most badass person stepping up there and nobody's better than you. Like, that's my goal. It may not always pan out that way, but 
Like when we talk about skill acquisition, though, that's the goal we want to get to. I agree, especially like one of my programming styles, especially farther out from the meat. I'm a big fan of like those tempo and pause variations that we were just talking about. As far as like you want to demonstrate mastery of movement under load, go ahead and like pause that shit. Like your big heavy squat, pause it. Like tempo it, pause it. Like it'll it'll expose like it'll expose any issues you have going on. Um, I'm a big fan of also using uh, deload weeks necessarily as like um, technique focused weeks where I can keep the intensity somewhat high but strip back the majority of the volume and we can really focus on like technique without considering intra session and intra set fatigue. Um, I'm a big fan of that and. I also believe fully that as coaches, all three of us are coaches, that we should continually be striving to get our clients into a better place with their own skill acquisition. Like we should be, I don't want to say hammering home or like getting on their ass about it, but we should make them at least aware that this is a continual process and like you're hitting good PRs, but like there's always room to continually work on the things that you think you need to work at. Um, but I also agree. I don't coach any like novices at this point. Like I'm not interested in coaching novices. I haven't taken any on. And so in, in peak, especially like we're, we're past that. Like we're, we're not in the realm of trying to change your squat pattern. Like we're not looking for more efficient ways to move load because the percentages are so high that you're going to revert to the same movement pattern you've always used. You're going to go to default. Yeah, you're you're going to you're going to pivot back to your body subconsciously is going to use what it thinks is the most effective motor pathway to move the load based on its previous experiences. So like it, it, you can't get to singles at 95% and think, "Okay, time to start queuing knees out." Brother, a single at 95%, you're fighting for your fucking life. Like yeah. your body's going to do what it's always done. Like you should have been doing that shit back at 85%. Like, yeah. you know, so I, I fully agree that there are more appropriate times than others to be considering skill acquisition and that there are very appropriate times to be hammering skill acquisition. Well, it's not even to say like you should be considering skill acquisition more in one area than the other in programming or anything like that, I think. Because even in, even in a peak, I still think you should have skill acquisition as one of the forefront running things that you're working on. So increasing frequency as much as you can, giving them exposure to the big three as much as you can. But at the same time, I think I'm going to take a step back, but I think also at the same time, like the, you know, the best, in my opinion, the best key that you can give somebody Hmm. their own biofeedback, like let them feel it. Right proprioception it's the i in my opinion probably one of the best ways you can teach somebody mm-hmm. like i can sit there and i can key you all day but unless you know what you're feeling and you're feeling it it's just not going to stick with you so if i, I think can get you a lot to, of athletes though that actually don't feel it i think a lot yeah. of athletes and i i'm i was one of them i just went through the movements yep i just did the program i did the sets um i didn't actually feel each rep how does it feel does it feel good does it feel bad a lot of times these athletes are just watching their videos going okay well it looks good okay well something there's been plenty of times that my squats have looked good and have felt horrible 
Like they just yeah. didn't feel, they didn't feel good. They didn't feel comfortable. There was pain. And I think sometimes we kind of like skip some of those, those stages. And 100%. then we actually don't learn. We actually don't actually acquire the skill like we should. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I think going back to the mantra I said, it's like learn slow. That's the whole point of having things like Steve said, tempos, pauses, double pause, or, you know, one and a half, whatever you're going to use one, have the intent there. And two, have it, whatever variation you're going to use, if it's outside the comp squat or whatever competition movement, whatever it is, the variation has to drive home what you're trying to do, whether it's an accessory, secondary movement, main movement, doesn't matter. Like it has to drive home what you're trying to do. That's the intent you have to create. And with that, you're going to create buy-in because it's going to show later on in the, in the actual competition squat or again, whatever movement, but at the same time, being able to, to sit there and I'm a dick. Apparently I like five second tempos. <laughs> um, I don't like giving them at super, super voluminous ranges or anything like that. Like usually it's only two to five reps, five reps being the absolute most. But at the same time, I like that a lot because you have to spend so much time getting comfortable with yourself, feeling yourself where you're going. And it's not to say that you have to use five second tempos, but it's just, it's my way of driving home the point. Like, Hey, think about this. If I'm asking you to pack your head, where's your head through the entire lift going down, down, down. Okay. I'm still packed. Where is it coming out then? You know, on the way up. Cool. Well, guess what? That's you've brought awareness to that point now. So since you've brought awareness to it, now you're no longer in that first stage of unconscious incompetence. Now you can move forward and start that skill acquisition, right? So that's the whole point of like using these types of variations, whether it be tempo, pause or anything like that to drive that and create that progression runway. I agree. I agree. So what you're saying essentially is that we shouldn't all be doing the same accessories because people on Instagram are doing them. Yes. Um, shit. <laughs> shit. Well, there goes my programming. Right. Like, shit. Damn it. No, yeah. I do think that's something that's very prevalent right now because, you know, you have people like Joelle Browner and all of them that are strong as shit. But at the same time, though, what got them there? That's the question. It's not what they're doing now. It's what they do in the past that got them to there. Obviously, there might be some drugs involved, but that's a whole different question. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Jamal was, Jamal was world class before the drugs. Like, exactly. Like, but the question is, like, what got them there? Yeah, I agree. That's the question about it. It's like if I'm building any kind of business, like, I'm not going to go talk to somebody who's a billionaire. I'm going to talk to somebody or somebody who was a billionaire from the get go. Like, I'm going to go talk to somebody who was dirt poor and built themselves that way. You know, where did they learn from? It's, I think it's the same way as coaches too. Like we have to, I'm going on a huge tangent, but at the same time, I'm really passionate about this and probably why I actually really do like doing the, um, the videos and stuff for you guys. Cause like, I know where I was five years ago and to see where I'm at now, like that's, that's huge mm -hmm. in my opinion, but to be able to sit there and say, okay, we've gone from this, like we have to continue to improve upon it. 
That's pretty much what I'm saying. Like, I'm rambling, so I'm just going to shut now and let you guys talk. Well, speaking to, to what you're saying specifically is um, when you say where you were five years ago as like a coach or like a program, that's wild. Because like, man, I, three years ago, I wasn't even lifting. But because people had taken the time to put good information out there and because people had taken the time to build an internet community on Instagram, um, I, I met and was aware of Dalton before I ever met him in person because of Instagram. So I was already consuming some of the content that he and Mike were putting out before I ever joined that gym or became, a, or had met either one of them. So a shout out all the people like Dalton who take time to make good, like good content that educates new lifters for free. And yeah, isn't, agree. isn't fucking self-advertising bullshit that is just feeding into nonsense. Like, I think the newest thing right now is like this liver king thing. I think that's the newest thing going on right now. And it's like, I try not to like wade in too much on the fitness world or like pay too much mind, but it's like, what in the fuck is happening right now? Y'all like the honest, the honest acquiring of good information and honest skill is like, that's nothing when I can just like take pictures of my ass or like make wildly egregious claims, like eating raw meats and stuff. Like it's uh, anyway, I don't want to get into too big of a tangent either. Dalton and I are both <laughs> starting to ramble here. I'm going to start getting into the, to the state of our fucking fitness community here pretty soon. <laughs> we need a button and someone just needs to sit off to the side. Like every time we go on a tangent, be like, get back on topic. Oh, what if we had like little shock bracelets and Hanukkah just oh, shot? No. <laughs> no, no, I'll be dead. Well, there's definitely side tangents that you can go on in the women's side of the fitness world too. Like that's, that's a ball game all on its own. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. Um, I feel like uh, some of them might get sued if we talk about though. <laughs> to, uh, to kind of like, to kind of try to bring it all, all back to where we were on skill acquisition and everything. Um, if, if you're not actively trying to, to be better in whatever your goal is, like whether that's weight loss, hypertrophy, strength outcomes, whether that's movement proficiency, whether that's uh, picking up wraps or single ply or whether that's um, whatever, whether it's box squatting or whatever you're doing, um, it's, so long as you're actively trying to become better at it, I think you're gonna be on the right path. Like people have reached out to me after previous podcasts and been like, Jesus, what do you mean you fucking track all these metrics? And it's like, yeah. uh, and I don't want to, I don't want to give the impression that everybody has to be doing that to progress. Like, I, and I, I may have made that impression before. So long, so long as you're making the honest effort to get better and do better and be better, I think you're going to do just fine. Yep. No, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, it also brings to mind, like I coach, I coach some like high level lifters and the propensity I see almost universally is like, it's, it's funny. Like I'll see it happen a couple different ways. They'll be like, Oh, this set fucking sucked. And this, and then like, they'll, they'll be like this big list of things that were wrong. And I'm like, Holy shit. Like, this is going to be bad. Like, but the video hasn't sent yet. Cause like, for whatever reason, usually because I live in like fucking middle of nowhere. So once I get the video, <laughs> I'll look at it and I'm like, I'm like, Holy shit. Like, I'm like, I'm like that meme where numbers are running through their head. I'm like, I'm like looking at load and effort and shit. And I'm like, I'm like, wait a second. This is like a really high load moving really well. And had 
had you not mentioned any of these issues, I would be looking at this video going, bro, this is fucking awesome. This is great. But instead, this lifter will be like, this lifter will be like, I fucking suck. I did so many things bad. I am the worst ever. I'm so sorry. And it's like, bro, this is an awesome lift. So I also want to point out that like, you don't want to let that, you don't want to let that go too far. Because like, I see coaches and like coaching styles where it's like, everything has to be a learning moment. And I'm a big fan of like, not everything is a learning moment, bro. Like the learning moment is you fucking doing the exercise. Like I'll give you feedback where it's necessary, but I'm not the kind of coach that's always going to be like, oh, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. Like sometimes I'm going to be like, yo, this is moving really good. How do you feel about it? What do you think? And like, there are some lifters who are like, you have to rein in on the other side because they're like seeking perfection at such a high level that like, don't let perfection be the enemy of progress sometimes like don't be set out don't set out to acquire so much fucking skill that you stop acquiring progress uh because some lifters will, are super hypercritical like they're good lifters love them to death but some of these people are like they're difficult sometimes like it's hard are you are you trying to ding squat university are you saying that we shouldn't drop load and focus on technique um you're dangerously close to starting the conversation on uh technique and its relation yeah. to injury that's a whole and, other rabbit hole uh, like you're gonna get me started on there's not technology. enough time on that one yet because um, like i'm like for for like the audience at home i'm like one of the one of the organizations that i first started dealing with was barbell medicine and they're like engaged in the eternal war with squat you as far as like as far as like the evidence-based community versus like the the other like the rest of the fitness world so like i have um I, I like Dr. Aaron and like, he's put out some good stuff. Oh, for but, sure. He's got some but good I, stuff. Yeah, out there, like he, but I also but think I some of it's just like, ugh. I won't make a secret of the fact that in his pursuit of fame and in his pursuit of recognition to sell more products and enrich himself, I won't pretend like he hasn't said some fucking stupid things. Lifter A, lifter B, anybody? Like, I, like, <laughs> I, I, anyway. Lifter A squats a thousand pounds, but he has a hip shift. <laughs> I'm not going to, yeah. We right. should drop okay. him down to a hundred pounds. All right, I'm talking... I'm talking too much trash now, but yeah, like I don't, so I don't want to get like too far down that rabbit hole, but like we, we will go there. We'll go there someday. I mean, really the only thing I'll say is like police your information, like do your own research, use your own anecdotal evidence, use the people who have actually made a name for themselves in a good way in this sport and use their anecdotal, anecdotal evidence. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of elite FTS is a mantra of live, learn, pass on. Yeah. Most of this, most of the knowledge I've gained has been free. It's through yes. hours and hours and hours that I've spent through books, looking at YouTube videos, articles, you know, all this stuff. So 90% of like, will I ever put on a certification course? I don't know. Maybe if I ever get, you know, recognized as a quote unquote good coach. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it's like, you know, if I learned all this for free, why would I charge you for it? Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. Right. unless it's something i'm making my living on but at the same time i will sit there and i'll answer any question anybody has for the most part and if i don't know the answer i'll tell you like hey look i don't know but this is my opinion on it yeah i think at this point it's it's accepted in the fitness community that some of the best advertisements you can have are um are positive recognition for good works done previously so like if you have other clients who are saying that you're doing a great job and you're a high level lifter and that matters a whole lot more than 
19 certifications. Like what you're saying is like, I should do a better job of promoting the athletes. Well, I mean, and, and to be fair, a lot of people, they spend too much time advertising in the wrong way. Yeah. Um, this is like the kind of, this is the kind of industry and the kind of community where your, your best advertisement is going to be the, um, the reputation you develop over time, in my opinion. Yeah. No, I agree with that. All right. So this has turned in from a coaching meeting to a, uh, a podcast, back to a coaching meeting, back to a podcast now. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, hopefully, ho- hopefully we don't, we don't ramble too, too terribly much. I mean, so we uh, and if we do get over it and keep listening. Yeah. So, um, um, love us, like us. So leave us a review, please. I agree. Send us like, uh, send us some different, um, different podcast ideas we've gotten yeah. a couple recently um we've gotten we get a lot of feedback on the spicy supplement stuff like and that's all well and good <laughs> but um we also need to do dalton's meat recap and his prep leading into the recap like what yeah. some of his thoughts are in hindsight um because once hindsight is 2020 it's you're able to take a better look at the prep leading into the meat and then we have Kyle's meat prep to, to cover and discuss also. Kyle has a meet coming up. And then I don't have anything. Water. Yeah, I don't you've have got, anything coming up. You've got like a meet coming up. Weeks. Huh? Right? You've got a meet coming up. you got two of them. Uh, I'm like 14 weeks out of one. And then I think 18 or 19 out of another. So, so that's a really interesting concept too, though. Because this might be one of the last things I say, but it's like, which meat do you peak all out for? The USPA. Oh, the one for sure. But it, like, that's the question though. Like if you compete multiple yeah. times in the year, I think it's absurd to think you're going to be as strong as every single meat. But that's, no. a, that's a whole different topic. But yeah. yeah. So, so we have to cover all of that. We have to cover all of that also. Like this was kind of a coach's meeting. So we didn't get into any of the podcast stuff I wanted to get into. But uh, hopefully Kyle's feeling better. Um, hopefully his schedule clears up here pretty soon. Been very busy filming stuff for the full send initiative yeah Um, check it out if you haven't already it's a great resource for spotting and loading well especially got the the seminar coming up what is it may Um, i don't i don't want to be wrong or plug the wrong information i'll let him do that i want to say it's in margate in is it in may i'll have to look um i'll I'll let him kind of get more into that but some of the production some of the production value that's going into their work now is like it's kind of next level stuff they're doing at this point. And if, yeah. if you're not following, you should follow. And if you're not supporting, you should support. And guys in this industry, some of the best support you can do is like fucking like comment and share. Like yeah. talk about a low fucking bar of entry. Like no one's asking. <laughs> you to and like, yeah. like, I mean, like, no, I really want to take a second and say like some of these people who are putting out this free content for people literally just fucking follow them and comment on their shit. Like just talk to them because like, they're not doing it to make money. Like, for i'll speak to kyle's case exclusively like kyle doesn't have merch he doesn't sell a course he doesn't there's no certifying body there's no like he literally takes the time drives all over creation has like collaborated with actual film companies to like raise the production value of these videos to put out a free product for people and so i highly encourage that you take the time to interact with and work with those kinds of people I don't want to get into a gigantic rant about the fitness industry again, but the people who are doing the shit for free, 
Like those are the people you need to be paying a lot of attention to. Support them. Yeah, support them. And like I said, like literally like, comment and share. Like the bar is so low. It's so low, even for Instagram. Even for Instagram, it's low. Yeah, yeah. All right. So Steve, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Facebook. You can search Steve Pruitt. I'm also in basically every powerlifting group on the planet on Facebook. Uh, and then on Instagram, you can also search Steve Pruitt, but my Instagram handle is steves.lifts. And I have a link tree with different resources for coaching links and different um, needs assessment, client intake forms, things to look at of that nature. Anna, where can they find you? You can find me on IG at CaliJap. I'm not really active on my Facebook, but we're going to get better at that, right, Steve? <laughs> So I will, I will take a moment to say for our audience, I have found more clients on Facebook than I have on Instagram. So everybody who talks shit about Facebook and their groups can put that in their peace pipe and smoke it because literally more clients off Facebook than Instagram. God, I hate Facebook though. I know. That's what everybody says. Everybody's like, bro, Facebook groups aren't a thing anymore. And it's like, all right, bro, don't worry about it. I got it then. You know what? You just have to find the right groups and yeah. That's what I'm figuring out. And just weed out all the stuff that doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, Steve, I need to have a conversation with you offline about that. So, but uh, right. if you want to, if you want to find me, uh, if you want to drop any topics, uh, questions, anything like that, you can reach out on Instagram, Dalton underscore MM, Iron Circus Strength Nutrition. Uh, if you just search ISCN, it pops up, icstrength.com, any of those. Uh, drop a comment on this poll whatever spot uh spotcast jesus christ spotify uh oh it's been man. a long day apparently whatever <laughs> spotify poll this bro, thing is, I and i talked a lot of shit thinking this was just going to be a coach's meeting too like i talked yeah, a lot of shit in this uh, one. oh yeah. no but uh yeah so that's where you can find us don't forget the barbell underscore uh no three underscore barbell underscore viking for kyle the Fulson initiative for his effort going forward, spotting and loading. Um, if you want to reach out and join in on the coaches meetings that we have every Sunday at 5 PM Eastern time, you can go into my profile for my link tree. I want to gag saying that right now, but it's up there. Uh, the Lincoln bio, the, yeah, Lincoln bio, but uh, the video is always up there. And then also uh, you can go to my website through that and it'll be on there. So yeah. Uh, also, guys, we're going to start taking guests and doing yeah. topics with our guests. So uh, I'm interested in hearing feedback on who you are interested in hearing from also. Or if you want to come on, maybe we'll, we'll roast you. Maybe we can have Hana on as a, like an actual actual guest and just roast her the entire time. I don't know. Well, I wish we could have <laughs> done. It would have been awesome to do Hana's meat recap because then there would have been plenty of roasting and celebration at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same time. All right. I don't want to make it sound like she had a bad meat. She had a great meat, but she could have totaled 700. Yeah. Nah, it was good. Though. Next time. But, next time. Yeah. All right. Well, let's end that on this one. Oh, yeah. It's good talking to you guys. All right. All right.